You're listening to Connect Communities Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. If you'd like to know more about our community, stop by our website at www.connectcommunity.tv. Enjoy the message. Okay, this is the last part of our Better Perspective series. I've loved this series. This has been a, a great series thus far. And uh, I'm closing in today with a message about being pleasant and helpful to others. It's a message that's at the core of the gospel, at the core of Jesus' call for us to love one another. And the Apostle Paul teaches a lot in his letters to the churches, churches that lived in areas like ours, lived in areas that are in the forefront of culture, the forefront of Uh, everything that's developing in the world. We're here in greater New York City, and there's a lot that we experience here that is in the forefront of everything, right? When it comes to politics, culture, family life, all of that. So we're in this space, this cosmopolitan space where there's opinions from every corner. There are people from every uh, walk of life. And our church is a church with people from all all walks of life. So I think that this message will be uh, very useful for you. It will be of great utility. So if you could give me the next few minutes uh, so that we can uh, just receive from God what he has for us today. All right, and this message is really about being pleasant and helpful, uh, but not in a way that you're manipulated, not in a way that you're misguided. Because there's something that I've noticed recently, I'm sure you have noticed too, is that uh, in recent months, the balance of emotional connection, especially with the lockdown, has shifted from person to person, from office environments to a virtual reality. And this is what I mean, that we're making emotional connections virtually at a much bigger pace or or percentage than ever before. Much more of our connections are virtual now. And I don't just mean text messages or emails. I mean social media platforms, I mean blogs, news outlets, and everything else that we give ourselves to emotionally. It could be a headline that you read. If Even when you're passive or you're actively reading but you're not interacting with any person, in a way, you're interacting with the opinions of that writer. A lot of the news now is just opinion. If you look at the top, it's not really a report, it's opinion. And that just means that the reporter is writing whatever they think about that situation. And if we allow that to enter our hearts, if we allow that to shape how we interact with others and how we see the world, it can have a lasting impact on how we deal even with our loved ones at home. So as that balance tips over to virtual connections, as we deal less and less with face-to-face interactions and we move over to devices and, and screens, I've noticed this, that the hostility level has also increased. Have you noticed that? People are more hostile. People are meaner. People are are, are shorter. They have less patience. And maybe that's by virtue of the fact that uh, it's just letters on a screen most of the time. But if you've noticed that, that people have gone more hostile, how how do we respond? How do, we, how do we live in a way that that doesn't affect our hearts and doesn't affect our person-to-person inter- interaction? How can we see all the hostility and not become hostile 
ourselves. See, it's easy to be hostile online. It's very easy for you and I, nice people, kind people, people who are nice to their spouses and their siblings and their friends, to become hostile when we're typing and we're online. It's easy to be offended. And there, there's, I think it's also because there's no true feedback other than characters, like I said, uh, words on a screen. Maybe you can send a couple of emojis. But that's, that's how it is. See, the point of this message is not online etiquette. The point of this message is not trying to convince you to be nicer online. No. It's about our heart toward people. It's about your heart toward people. And I want to remind you to live in a stable, cordial, and well-meaning community. And that to live in that community, it's not easy. It's not easy to create an environment that is stable, cordial, and well-meaning. So, we're going to look at a scripture today because if we, if we think of history, even all the way back to the first century when a lot of these passages that we're going to read today were written, or all of it were, were written. History shows that humans, for as long as we have been recording, they'll fight against one another. Nation will fight against nation. Tribe will fight against tribe. Except when there are certain common values that are shared in a village, in a community, in a family, in a nation. There are common values that need to be shared. And when we share them, there's got to be a mutual generosity toward one another, including toward one another's failures. We got to get to the point where we understand that mutual generosity toward each other's failures is essential for us to live in a cordial society. So this is not a, a, a message about online etiquette, like I said. It's a message about what the scripture has to say about us being kind, being helpful to others, even in an environment that is hostile and manipulative. How can you do your part? How can you deal with people? Be pleasant and helpful without being influenced and without uh, um, being manipulated by people who don't really care about you, who just want what they want. They're not really concerned about you. So let's go to the scripture. Let's go to the first pas passage we're going to, to read. It's in 1 Corinthians 10. And I hope that by the end of this message, you'll have better guiding principles on how to be somebody who is pleasant, how to be someone who blesses others um, and knows where you stand. Let's go read it. It says, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the market, in the meat market, without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. All right, this is uh, 1 Corinthians 10, chapter 10, verses uh, 23 through 26. We're going to read a little more, but let me pause right here because what is Paul talking about, right? He goes from all things being lawful, now things are helpful, and not, and let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. And then he talks about food. 
whatever anybody eats at the market. So in this passage, Apostle Paul is dealing with a particular cultural grievance. And the Christians in Corinth um, had a dilemma. Are they to eat foods that were offered to idols or not? What, what is the guidance here from their pastor? So I want you to imagine that you're in a farmer's market buying some fruits and veggies. Maybe you're in downtown Stanford, maybe in your own town. Uh, and, and you're there on a Saturday morning getting your veggies and, and your fruits. And, and you discover that the farmer is part of a different religion. And somebody tells you that he has an altar to some god and his farm. And that becomes common knowledge. Everybody knows that that farmer has worships at specifically God, a specific God and that before he sells the food to you, he offers everything to that God as part of his ritual. What would you do as a Christian? Should you buy and eat the food from that farmer? That's the question that they're dealing with. But not necessarily farmers. We're talking about hosts. We're talking about friends. We're talking about places that they go that where foods were offered to idols. Remember, they lived in a cosmopolitan uh, community. And back in those days, um, polytheism or the worship of several gods was the way people lived. So everything was involved in idolatry and worship and all that. That was the common thing at that time. And Paul is addressing that here. But I think we, we can amplify that. And we can bring the particularities of this text and, and the, the things that they're talking about, the grievances that they're talking about. We can bring it to our reality because it, let's go beyond idolatry, right? Because when we get to the area of idolatry, we can say uh, that's not something that we deal with a lot. But let's go beyond that. Let's go, what, what about the farmer's politicals, political inclinations? What if you discover that that farmer voted for somebody you don't really like? What about the farmer's vaccination status? What if the farmer's opinion on vaccines doesn't really align with yours? What about the farmer's opinions on abortion, sex, gender, masks, and whatever else he likes? What if the farmer likes pineapples on pizza? <laughs> There's a great divide in American culture regarding pineapple on pizza. <laughs> what if the farmer has an opinion different than yours? How would you treat the farmer and his product then? See, Paul shares a very clear distinction here of what is ethically and morally sound when living in a community. This is guidance for the people who follow Jesus. But it's guidance for every one of us. This is good guidance for everybody. He says, all things are lawful. Now notice, when Paul writes, all things are lawful, He's writing it in quotations. It's quoted. Now, why is it in quotations? It is believed by some scholars that he, he's responding to people who wrote to him, and they were using that phrase as a maxim for every kind of behavior. Because you can see Paul write that. Paul writes that even in the letter of the Corinthians. Uh, he repeats that in chapter 6. He writes that in some other passages, in other letters that he writes. So we can, we can deduce that that was part of his teaching. And that's the way that they were basing their behavior on Paul's previous teachings. In Galatians, for example, Paul, Paul writes that whoever lives by the Spirit 
and presents in their lives the fruit of the Spirit. He writes at the end of when he lists the fruit of the Spirit, he says, against such actions there is no law. So people were borrowing these notions that were being discussed about Paul. And they were just saying, they created this saying, all things are lawful. But then Paul affirms that. He says, yeah, all things are lawful. But here's a condition. Not all things are helpful. In other words, it's permissible. You can do it. It might not harm you. But is it going to help others? That is the question. All things are lawful. What else did he say? But not all things build up. And here, Paul lifts. He raises being helpful above our ability to use our freedom for whatever we want ourselves. Paul makes it plain and simple. Being helpful and building others up is more important than doing whatever you want. That's the lesson we get from the beginning of this passage that we're studying today. Being helpful and building others up is more important than doing whatever you want. That's what Paul is clarifying and guiding this church. Then he says, let everyone seek the good of his neighbor. What a beautiful principle. Now, I've hit this a few times at the church uh, in person when sharing a message with you. But I want to I repeat it here because I think you need to hear this as often as possible. There's a new brand of self-care that's gaining prevalence online right now. Little posts, little things that are in the eyes of everybody. And it's not really self-care. It's no more self-care than it is a passive-aggressive ranting sometimes. That what it does is just elevate selfishness using the pretext of self-care. That, that's, that's really what it is. It's more that than it is self-care. Because self-care, real self-care is this. Sleeping at a proper amount of time. Instead of binging until late hours on TV and then waking up tired, not able to work, not able to treat your family uh, well because you're tired and you're short and all the reasons. So, yeah, exercising, maintaining a healthy body, that's self-care. Eating healthy foods, that's self-care. Meditation is self-care. Prayer is self-care. Rest, not just going, 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 going all the time. That's self-care. Healthy boundaries with work and your schedule and time with family. That's self-care. That's important. Those are things that even the scripture will encourage you toward. But what's often dressed as self-care these days is not really self-care. And I, I just, I'm just calling your attention to it. And I'm, I'm being a little tough. I'm being strong here because it's important. Because we can't just... Take something that is not actually self-care and, and package it in something that's good for you when it is actually not good for you. You can't say that treating others as the enemy, treating others like all they want is to take from you is healthy. It's self-care. It's not. Neither is saying, telling you that it's okay for you to not keep your word 
to not keep your commitments to your friends and your family and your loved ones because you're taking care of yourself and your mental health. No, that's not okay. That's not self-care. It's not okay to tell you that you should act like everything that you do for others, every act of kindness that you do for others should come with praise, should come with adulation, should be rewarded because it was such an inconvenience that if you don't get praise, adulation, or recognition, it wasn't worth your time. It means that people are just taking advantage of you. No, that's not the, that's not the heart of generosity. That's not the heart of helping others. But a lot of what we see online, a lot of what you see uh, today shaping the idea of self-care is coming with these these notes of self-interest, these notes of self-centeredness. And it's from a presupposition that you are a victim of all of this. That you are a victim of everything that has happened to you. And what this passage does, what the scripture does, is that it flips the script on us. See, what Paul is saying is, you're not a victim. You are an actor. You are an agent whose actions matter, and they have influence and implication toward others. What you do influences others. What you do affects others. So knowing that, how do you act? See, what Paul is teaching us in that passage is this. That your actions should not be based on how others act toward you but how you should act toward others. Think about that for a minute. Your, actions, your actions should not be based on how others act toward you. In other words, you shouldn't let other people lead. It shouldn't be because of them. It, should, it shouldn't be, even whether it's good or bad, it should be because of how you should act, how you are called to act. And what is the kind of guiding principle behind this? What is the guiding principle behind you acting toward others the way that you should? Is it their religion? Is it their vaccination status? Is it their sexuality, their social status? No. What guides how we treat others is our relationship and devotion to God. So we do what is helpful. We do what builds up. We act toward others with kindness, and we are present in their lives with generous hearts because that's what God calls us to do. We do it unto Him. And we are agents of change in the world. So he says, eat whatever is on the market. In other words, it doesn't matter if the farmer offered food to idols or not. Don't even ask the questions. Just eat the food. Why? Because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That's why. So he continues. Let's go to verse 27. He says, If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the grounds of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you. And for the sake of conscience, I do not mean your conscience, but his. 
For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that which I give thanks? Now, I want to remind you that this was written to the church in Corinth. There were Jews, there were Greeks, there were people from all over the world in Corinth. It was a city that connected the Greco-Roman world to the east. They were, they were a cosmopolitan area with people from all walks of life. And at the time, it would have been a New York or a Miami or a Los Angeles for their culture. That's the kind of place they were in. So these were not people who were living in villages out in the country disconnected from the world. These were people that were at the forefront of cultural progress. They were at the forefront of what was uh, the, the, the most progressive kind of life in the first century. And a lot of it had uh, many similarities with what we're dealing with today, even 2,000 years later, because people's needs are people's needs. People's sin are people's sin. People's practices are, are the same. People have the same cravings, the same desires, the same inclinations in how they live, and the same, the same kind of greed. So they dealt with all of that in the first century. And it, what it also meant is that a party at an unbeliever's house, which many of them were invited to, could have all sorts of implications for the Christian, for the person who followed Jesus. Polytheism was part of the culture. So it would have been common to have friends who served and worshipped, uh, who served you food and worshipped multiple gods. So this is what's significant. But like I said, it's also significant to us. Because when you, as a person, person of conviction, a believer, a church person, interact with somebody who is not like-minded, what are you to do? Are you, are you willing to use your liberty, to use your freedom, to use what you have to help guide their conscience toward God? Are you willing to navigate situations, conversations, and topics with a kind of approach that makes being helpful and building up, like he says in the first uh, part of this passage, more important than having your way all the time. You know the answer to this. Because you can imagine, and some of you might have even experienced this. You can imagine what happens to a family or a team at work when everyone just does whatever is best for them all the time and has no regard for other people. You know that that nucleus, that, that mini community cannot survive if, if everybody's just doing what's best for them. You have to have regard for others. So you know the answer to that. Preferring others, pleasing others is a prerequisite for wholesome and growing community. You can't have a wholesome and growing community without preferring others. So let's look at this final passage that Paul writes. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Wow. Wow. I love this passage. Whatever you do, do to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. And this is good counsel. This is great counsel, not just for people who follow Jesus, but for everyone who wants to make communities and relationships better. 
Everyone who's seeking wisdom to make relationships and communities and teams better. This is great counsel. He's saying, don't try to offend people. Don't try to prove that you're right all the time. Don't try to win every argument all the time. Ask the question, does it build up? Is it helpful? Then do whatever is helpful. Do whatever builds up. Be an agent of change, not a victim. Then he says, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do. Now, when I studied this passage, uh, I remember doing it a few years ago, I remembered another passage that Paul writes where he says that we should not be a people pleaser. So how can the same person who says that we shouldn't be people pleasers write that he tries to please everyone in everything he does? Where is the, where is the how do we reconcile these two things? Because I'm sure that when you read this, you're like, I don't know, JD, I, I'm not supposed to be a people pleaser. I need you to notice this, that, that the same Paul that writes for you not to be a people pleaser is asking you to try to please everyone. And here's the difference. The difference is on the key result of the object, of, of, of the objective. What is the key result of the objective? See, the key result of a people pleaser is generally that they want to have their sense of identity, their sense of, their sense of value from the praise they receive from others. So they need to please because they need to be praised. They need to please because they need the attention. They need to please because they need the affection. That's why being a people pleaser is not effective because the the objective that brings that, the, the key result that he's seeking with that objective is bad. But Paul's key result is on the text. Look at it. Look at what he says. Not seeking my own advantage, but that of many. Not seeking my own advantage, but that of many. Why? That they may be saved. His key result, the key result of trying to please everyone is not to get people's praise. It's not to try to feed our sense of identity and our sense of self-worth and our sense of self-value. No, we're not doing that for us. We're doing that for them. Our goal is to help them. We're pleasing them for their benefit. The key result is to bring the life of God, the life of God, the light of God that is in us to them so that they may find salvation. That is the goal. So the objective here is to be pleasant, is to be kind, is to be helpful, because the result that we want to achieve is that people will receive the love and the grace and the mercy of God through every single one of our actions. And that is worth our effort. And I hope that changes your perspective today. I hope that elevates your perspective today. I hope that gives you a better perspective in how you interact with people at work, how you inter interact with people at home, and how you interact with people even online. And you will turn away from anything that really doesn't matter. And when you do interact, 
You bring the light of God, the conviction of God, the goodness of God, speaking for those who can't speak for themselves and being the light of Christ in the world. So may I ask you, how can you be pleasant and helpful in 2021? You may ask yourself, how can I do that? Let's recap. Having this mindset that being helpful and building others up is more important than doing whatever you want. Although everything is permissible, although everything is available to you, you should consider being helpful more important. Building others up more important than whatever you want. Secondly, that your actions should not be based on how others act toward you, but how you should act toward others. Why? Because, lastly, you're doing it unto God. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. When you help others, when you act kindly, when you repay evil with good, you are not doing it to get their praise. You're not doing it to get adulation from them. You're not doing it to receive anything from people. You're doing it unto God because these are His children and we are caring for God's children no matter, no matter how far off they are, no matter how disconnected they are, no matter how, how twisted they are, no matter how much they've suffered. We are going to do what we can with what we have to share His goodness to help people in order that they may experience the life of God. Because whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. It's part of our worship. It's part of our devotion to God. It's part of what we are called to do. And I believe that if you do that, if you live from this perspective, you will grow, you will live in peace, you'll be more united, connected, and ultimately, you will become what God has created you to be. I'm so grateful that we have the life of God in us to flip the script on and, 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 and change us to be more like Him. Because I don't want to be more like the world. I don't want to be more hostile. I don't want to get in the fights. And, and I, don't, I don't want any of that. I want to be like God. I want to be like Jesus. And I encourage you to do the same. Even if this is a new walk for you, even if this is new to you, let me encourage you to find inspiration, to find guidance, to find the code of conduct that you have from the scripture. And I believe you will never be the same. I want to encourage those of you who do not have a relationship with Jesus, who do not have a relationship with God, to connect to Him right now, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. If you don't mind praying this simple prayer with me, let's just say, Dear Jesus, come into my heart. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I give you my past, my present, and my future. I repent of my sins. From this day forward, guide me. Amen. Listen, if you pray that simple prayer, we believe something new began. We encourage you to come back as often as you can. Stay connected, read your scriptures every single day, and allow today to be a day of new beginnings in your mind, in your thought life, so that you can experience the life of God in you. 
every single day. Hey, we're so glad you chose to join us today. Next week, we'll be in person uh, September 12th. Stay tuned for location. We might have a location change. We're looking to get a, a better location for us with better parking, better seating arrangement. So, uh, and, and, and on that note, those of you who call Connect Community Home, keep praying for a permanent location. We're, we're praying and believing that God will make something happen for this church soon. So we love you, everybody. Have a great week. And we'll see you next Sunday for a brand new series, brand new uh, service. Love you very much.